Uh, if you're new or, or visiting with us, uh, we are continuing on through our study in uh, Peter's first epistle. Um, so you, you can turn there, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. It's our regular practice uh, to preach through uh, passages of Scripture expositionally. Um, we're going to keep doing it. I think, we're, I think we're in 16. I don't know. It's in the bulletin. I think we're sermon 16 in 1 Peter, and we're, we're making pretty good headway. So 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 1. Let me know when you got it. You guys there? All right. I still see people flipping. All right. Here we go. 1 Peter. And this is, listen, I say it sometimes. This is the best part of the sermon. Here it is. God's word that he inspired and preserved. Listen to it. Hear it. This is God speaking to us. 1 Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is God's word. Uh, let me pray briefly for us. Lord, uh, we, we do thank you for inspiring these words, for preserving them for us. We know that all scripture is breathed out by you and, and, and profitable for our souls, for our well-being, for our spiritual good. And so we pray now through the preaching of your word, you would nourish us, that you would feed us. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. Lord, be with us now. Glorify your son. Feed us what we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On December 7th, 1941, uh, the Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor Naval Base in Hawaii uh, was hit by one of the deadliest and most destructive surprise attacks in military history. It was 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning when some 350 Japanese fighter pilots uh, attacked the base, killing nearly 2,500 soldiers and damaging or destroying 19 ships. Uh, the attack lasted just over an hour. Uh, the United States intelligence had indicated there was very little to no chance uh, that Japan would decide to attack the base at Pearl Harbor. And so the base was caught completely by surprise. Uh, on the morning of the attack, many of the soldiers were on leave in Honolulu. Uh, the general attitude of the men on base was one of routine. The ammunition was locked up. Battle stations were unmanned. The fighter planes were lined up like dominoes on the airstrip, wingtip to wingtip. 
And the commander of the base, Admiral Kimmel, was preparing for his weekly round of golf with one of his generals. The men were totally unprepared for the attack. As you know, Peter has been spending a lot of ink writing to these Christians in Asia Minor about suffering. And his concern is that these brothers and sisters would be found totally unprepared for the suffering that is beginning and that they will continue to face. He's writing because he wants them to be prepared, to to not be caught off guard. Uh, And this letter is particularly helpful for us because the kind of persecution that the Christians there in Asia Minor were facing uh, was not uh, what you see in later years. It It wasn't necessarily violence or imprisonment or execution, Uh, But it was the kind of persecution that we as Christians in the West in the 21st century are beginning to experience. Things like social alienation, public insult, mockery, name-calling, belittling, dismissing the Christian worldview. Uh, you, You know, of course, that there was a time when identifying as a Christian came with it the assumption that you were uh, someone who was honest, someone who was hardworking. Uh, And now there's actually social cost to identifying yourself as a Christian. To say you're a Christian, uh, for many people, comes with it the assumption that you're narrow-minded, that you're bigoted, that you're hateful, that you're intolerant. It's not uncommon to experience harsh criticism from family members for centering your life on Christ uh, or to be passed over for a promotion because of your faith, or to be attacked on social media for upholding a biblical view on marriage uh, or gender. Maybe some of you even this morning are facing this kind of opposition even now. Uh, and this, this suffering is real. Uh, this is the kind of suffering that the Christians that Peter's writing to are facing, and, and Peter wants them to be prepared for it. In the very first verse of our passage, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That is, ready yourselves with a Christ-like mindset when it comes to suffering. And Peter intentionally uses military language that arm yourselves. He uses military language because he wants you to remember that, that when you were converted to Christ, you were simultaneously enlisted in a war. Not a, not, a, not a physical war. It's been prayed a number of times. Not a, not a physical war with guns and knives and swords. No, a spiritual battle against sin and darkness and the forces of evil. Peter's saying, when, when you wake up in the morning, you are immediately in the midst of a spiritual war going on around you and inside you, and you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. Are you prepared? Is that how you live your lives? Is there, a, is there a kind of battle readiness in how you live your life? Are you vigilant and ready for spiritual attack? Have you armed yourselves with this way of thinking? Peter says you need to arm yourselves with with a mindset, with an attitude, 
up to this point, Peter has held out a theology of suffering and, and the living hope that we have in the midst of suffering. But now he's going to get really like ultra practical. One of the worst things you can do in battle is to go into it with the wrong mindset. So Peter says, if you're going to be prepared, you need to think like Jesus. You need to get your mind right. And so Peter gives us four aspects of a Christ-like mindset that's prepared for suffering. And if you're, if you're taking notes, it's a mindset that four things, knows, leaves, expects, and perceives. It's a mindset that knows, that leaves, that expects, and that perceives. Four things, it's a mindset that knows. That knows what? It's a mindset that knows why you are suffering. Now, isn't this the first question that we ask? When we're faced with opposition and trial and suffering, we, we, we ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why is God permitting? Why is he purposing such pain and hardship in my life? And, and while you need to know that we're not given the particulars, the, with specificity, why exactly this suffering in this time, God has not left us without any answers. The scriptures tell us broadly the role that suffering plays in our lives. Look at verse 1. Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, why does God permit and purpose suffering in your life? It is because suffering is one of the main tools, if not the main tool, that God uses in your life to purge sin and to equip you and prepare you to live a life that is devoted to his purposes in the world. Notice again that Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, that is, in his body. Last week we read that Christ suffered that he was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. That is, Jesus' victory and exaltation came through suffering. Don't worry, it's just a cell phone. It's okay. Remember, this is, the, this is the pattern of redemption. That glory comes through suffering. Jesus' life demonstrates. That's what we saw last week. That his exaltation came through suffering. And this is... This is the pattern of redemption, the, 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 the like divine mechanics of our salvation. It's glory through suffering. He, he, he wounds us so that he can heal us. It's the one who dies to self and takes up his cross that is made alive in Christ. And Paul says, we read this last week, that Paul says we share abundantly in his suffering so that we might also share in his comfort. That the road of salvation is always paved with suffering. And that's because there is nothing that is able to uproot and drive out sinful love of self like suffering can. You see in saying, whoever has suffered has ceased from sin. Peter isn't making some case that you can become like sinlessly perfect in this life. He's not saying that. 
That would be to contradict himself. He's saying that suffering is always ultimately an instrument in God's hand to bring about our sanctification, to make us more like Jesus, to drive out sin and to drive us deeper into devotion to him. Look, I'm making this argument, but you know this by your own experiences. Just think for a moment. What have been the seasons of life where you have experienced the most spiritual growth? Are they seasons where everything's going your way? They're not, right? The seasons where you experience the most spiritual growth, aren't they the seasons of suffering and pain and hardship and trial? Hasn't it been seasons where God has used relationships and circumstances and trials to just absolutely level you so that you're brought to your knees forced to acknowledge ways in which you are holding on to idols and holding on to sin? And isn't it through that suffering that he drives you into deeper dependence and deeper enjoyment of the blessing of trusting him and relying on him? It doesn't happen when everything's going our way. It happens in seasons of suffering. Some of you this morning I know are really struggling with something like chronic pain your health? Is it, is it arbitrary, purposeless suffering? No. Isn't God little by little showing you ways in which you idolize your own comfort or ways in which you have your hope too tied to this life? Isn't he making you more compassionate and more tender and more empathetic towards other people who are going through similar things? Isn't he driving you into deeper dependence on him as you feel the limitations and the weakness of your own body? Maybe you're struggling financially. And isn't it in those times that God teaches you more and more what it is to be content in the things that he provides not to set your hope on riches. Aren't you learning more of God's love as he would provide for you in ways uh, beyond your comprehension through perhaps the body of Christ? Is he stirring in you a deeper longing for a day when you will receive that glorious inheritance? Two years before his famous work, uh, Crime and Punishment, I've not read it, (laughs) it's a big book. Uh, you've heard of that book, though, Crime and Punishment, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, he, two years before he publishes that book, he endured tremendous suffering. His wife and brother died. Uh, a magazine that he had started went under. Uh, it was just overloaded with debt. He was eventually threatened with debtor's prison. Uh, he got an advance from a publisher for a book that he hadn't written yet and to try and lift himself out of debt, he took the money and he went to a roulette table and gambled all of it and lost everything. Because of his experiences, he, he wrote extensively about suffering. And one of the things he concluded about suffering uh, is this. He, he writes this. He says, pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. The really great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. I think he's right. Like again, think about the most substantial, durable, resilient Christians in your life. 
Who are the Christians that you know that just seem unshakable? 10 out of 10, they have endured really, really difficult suffering in their life. Who are the brothers or sisters that you know that, that, that seem to have roots that just go down miles into the faithfulness of God? Aren't they the people who have endured and walked with God through seasons of just tremendous suffering? Who are the saints in your life who are just unwaveringly committed to God's will in their life, no matter the cost? Isn't it the ones who have come to know the steadfast love and faithfulness of God through years of pain and hardship? And don't you want to be like that? Don't don't you want to have that kind of resiliency, that kind of durability, that kind of substance? You see, the roots go down deep because of the work God does through suffering. And Peter is saying, you need a mindset. Remember, we're talking to arm yourselves with a mindset. Peter's saying, you need a mindset that anticipates and embraces suffering because you know what it's doing in your life and in your heart. He's making you durable. He's making you resilient. He's making you unshakable. He's forcing the roots to go down deeper and deeper into his faithfulness. He's enlarging the capacities of your heart to trust him and deepening your ability to love others. He's, look, he's making you like Jesus. He's making you fit for glory. Are you armed with that way of thinking? When you're faced with suffering. Oh, it's difficult, but I know what it's doing. It's a mindset that knows why we suffer. But it's also a mindset that leaves behind. I said it knows, it leaves. What does it leave? It leaves behind your old life. The next thing Peter says is that you need to be armed with a mindset that leaves behind your old life. Look at verse 3. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. In other words, regardless of when you came to Christ, the time you spent pursuing your own human passions was more than enough. Any amount of time spent living for self instead of Christ is too much. I came to faith in Christ 20 years ago. I was 16, and even at 16, right, I, know, I, know, I knew what it was to live selfishly for my own desires, for my own pursuits, for my sinful passions. Uh, maybe you came to faith later in life and spent decades living for yourself, chasing your own sinful desires, and Peter's, Peter's like, that time is enough. That time is done. It's gone. Leave it behind. Kids, I hope that you never know a time, you never remember a time before you trusted Jesus. But even if you're, even kids, even you, if you're, if you're honest, know how easy it is to be sinful and selfish, to reject God's way and just do what you want to do. But for everyone that, that belongs to, to Jesus, that time is done and past. The, the way of the cross is the way of self-denial. 
In Christ, he has made you new and given you a new way of life so that the time of living for self is past now. And you must leave that way of life behind. And and why is this so important? Peter's using this military language. Uh, Try to imagine a soldier being sent off to battle who, who refuses to leave behind his civilian way of life. Try to imagine a soldier that isn't prepared to leave behind the comforts of peacetime. That's, that soldier is completely unfit for the battle. He has to be willing to, be, to, to, to lay it aside or he will be utterly useless in the battle. In, in the 18, really like the 1840s, 50s, and 60s, um, you, you guys know about the Oregon Trail? I know if you grew up in the 90s, you know about the Oregon Trail because you played that video game at school, the Oregon Trail. The Oregon Trail uh, was traveled by over 400,000 settlers in those three decades in the middle of the 19th century. Um, and, and you had eastern settlers traveling west, uh, and, and they, they, they went on this long journey on the Oregon Trail, hoping to bring their way of life, uh, including their possessions, with them uh, to start over in a new place. But over time, the trail became littered with what were called Leverites. I'm going to tell you what it means in a second. The Leverites were uh, possessions that many settlers um, had to abandon on the way. So think of like pianos and chests and uh, writing tables and chairs and grandfather clocks and all manner of furniture just left behind because they were, who, they were too heavy and too cumbersome to carry with them on the journey. And so when they would ask the guides, you know, like, we got to dump this stuff. What do we do with it? They would just say, well, leave it right there. That's, tr- that's, that's real. That's true. I'm not making that up. That's why they're called leave right. Just leave it right there. And they would. And the Oregon Trail was just littered with all, all of this furniture and stuff. And you you see, the reality was that in order to make the journey, the settlers had to leave behind their life of leisure and art and music and comfort. And now they had to embrace an identity as pioneers. They had to leave behind that old life. You don't play piano anymore. You're a pioneer now. And the only thing you have time for is to be a pioneer. And if, 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 if anything else gets in the way, you're not going to make the journey. This stuff has to get left behind. And so it is with God's people. You haven't been called to leave behind furniture and hobbies, but your old way of life, which was bent on pursuing your own selfish aims, chasing your own sin. If you are in Christ, you have a new way of life. That old way of life is done now, and you need to leave it behind. You have been made into new creatures with new desires and new priorities and new goals. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can't cling to your old way of life. It will only hinder you. I think of uh, the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that would be like if to put it in the Oregon Trail analogy, like all the saints that have traveled this road ahead of us who had to lay behind sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so many saints that have made this journey before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
You see, Peter's saying, it's time to, to leave the old life behind. You see, what does the world do in the face of suffering? I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter mentions here in this list of vices many of the things that people turn to to cope with suffering. Did you notice that? Like, what do we do when, when we, we are faced with suffering? We, we turn to sex. We turn to alcohol. We turn to worldly pleasures to numb ourselves and distract ourselves from the pain. And Peter's like, it's idolatry. It's looking to things other than God to give the comfort and strength in the face of suffering that only God can give. So let me ask you, what about you? How do you cope with suffering? What do you do in the face of suffering? Have you armed yourself with this way of thinking so that your suffering drives you to look for comfort in Christ? Or or, or do you just run to like shopping or food or alcohol or entertainment or pornography or social media? Are there ways in which you are still holding on to your old life? Are there ways in which you are still looking to the world and your own passions for comfort in the midst of suffering? Are there besetting sins that you have not laid aside and are hindering you in your walk with Christ? Peter says, arm yourselves with a Christ-like mindset. Leave behind the old way of life. You are new in him. Lay it aside. This, this, This mindset, it knows, it leaves, it expects. Thirdly, Peter says, you need to arm yourselves with a mindset that expects resistance. You need a mindset that expects resistance. What do you make of the soldier, again, carrying through that sort of military language, what do you make of the soldier who goes off to battle never expecting to encounter the enemy and never having prepared to fire his gun? It's a a soldier completely unprepared and unready. He, He will be utterly unprepared when the battle actually arrives. And so Peter says, expect resistance. Look at verse four. He says, with respect to this, that is respect, with respect to living this new way, leaving your old life behind, he says, with respect to this, they, that is the unbelieving world, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That word malign there means to insult or to slander. In other words, Peter wants these Christians and us to be aware that when you live your life in this way, when you live your life leaving aside the old way and committing yourselves to Christ, there will be people in your life who don't like it. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, they expect you to join them in living the way they do. And when you don't, you're like a mirror reflecting back to them the guilt of their sin. Rather than feel the the shame of that, rather than feel the guilt of that, and and, and rather than cry out to God for mercy, instead they get angry and and lash out at you. I, I wonder if you've experienced this. 
Peter says, don't be surprised. Like if you've experienced this and you're thinking, what am I doing wrong? What, what? Peter's like, no, expect it. Christians will face resistance. You're, you're not alone. You're, this, this is the way of Christians for centuries. Don't be shocked or discouraged when you face this kind of resistance. Jesus, of course, faced this kind of resistance in his own ministry. If you read through the gospel accounts, you'll see Jesus constantly misunderstood, insulted, verbally attacked, demeaned, dismissed, rejected. And not only by the Pharisees, not only by the spiritual leaders, but by his family, by the crowds, and even eventually by his closest friends. And remember what Jesus says to his disciples. John 15, verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You hear that same kind of language, right? And imagine, Peter, Peter heard Jesus say these words, right? If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Is, is that your mindset? Like, do you wake up in the morning... The alarm clock goes off. Do you wake up in the morning expecting resistance? I know I don't. I, I wake up and I expect that all of my plans are going to unfold exactly as I expect them to. I expect that the people in my life are going to do and respond to me exactly in the way that I would hope they would. And when they don't, I throw my hands up and I act like the universe is off kilter because of how my day is going, and Peter's like, why? Like, expect resistance. Don't be surprised by that. You, you should expect a fight. You should expect temptation. You should expect trouble. Just a little later in the chapter, Peter's going to say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And yet every time I'm like, why is this happening? We get surprised every single time. Later in chapter 5, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. That is, be ready, be prepared. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, de to devour. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died to make you resilient in him. Remember, Peter calls you sojourners and exiles. You are pilgrims on the, the Oregon Trail of salvation, and you are traveling on a perilous journey punctuated with suffering on your way to glory. Expect difficulty. Expect resistance. Jesus gave himself and endured the ultimate suffering for you so that you would be able to endure smaller temporary sufferings as you lean on him for strength. You can expect resistance, but you can also respect, uh, expect, as we sung earlier, that as your days, so your strength will be. That every day he will give you the strength that is needed. He is the strength and the shield of his people. He fights for them. He is victorious for them. And he supplies them with the strength they need for every battle. Amen? So this mindset, it knows, it leaves, it expects, and finally it perceives. Lastly, Peter says, we must arm ourselves with a mindset that perceives the coming judgment. 
that perceives the coming judgment. That is, we must live in light of that day that is coming when God will set right every wrong, account for every sin, and bring justice to every evil ever done. done. Look at verse 5. He says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. For the Christian, the willingness to endure suffering and the commitment to live for God's will instead of selfish desires is always shaped by the reality that a day is coming and coming soon when God will judge the living and the dead. It's shaped by that reality. Notice verse 5 is set in contrast with those who expect you to join in their flood of debauchery, and they are surprised that you don't join them. But a bigger and more terrifying surprise is coming when they will stand before the judge and give account for their lives. Notice that we must be prepared because God, even now, listen to me, God, listen to the words that come out of my mouth, that God, even now, is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, God is not unprepared. God is not getting his ducks in a row. He's not crossing T's and dotting I's. He's not biding his dime. A day is fixed when his judgment will come and he is ready for it. And Peter says, this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. You see what Peter's saying? Do you think that the experience of death is all that's entailed in the final judgment. No, death is but the gateway that everyone must pass through to stand in the presence of God and give account for their lives. For it's appointed that man should die once and then comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. Now, real quick, some have taken this verse wrongly and mistakenly to mean that there is a chance. When, when Peter says that the gospel, this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, some have taken this verse to mean that there is a chance to receive the gospel even after death. But notice that Peter says the gospel was preached, past tense, to those who are dead, present tense. In other words, he's referring to those who had the gospel preached to them when they were alive but now they are dead. They were judged in the flesh. That is, they experienced death. That's all men do. But because of the gospel, they live. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, let me tell you something that you already know if you're honest with yourself. And that is this, that death is not the end. Physical death is not the end. There is life after death, and and when your eyes close in death, they will open in the courtroom of heaven where you will stand before the righteous judge of all the universe. And when all the books are opened, and when your life is laid bare for everyone to see, what will be your defense? What will you say? 
What will you offer to the one who, not, who knows not only every action, but every thought? I, I say this with love, but we should let it terrify us to know that apart from Christ, we will have no answer to make, no, no defense to bring, no hope to cling to. He will judge with righteousness. And all those who are found outside of Christ will be cast out forever for all eternity into an infinite suffering from which there will be no relief. And the whole creation will rise up and rejoice at the justice of God knowing that he has done right. But, but here is the good news that we all need to hear again. The good news that's preached to those who are alive and the good news that was preached to those who live but who have now died is that God sent his son into the world to bear the weight of that judgment. When Jesus Christ took upon himself the burden of that guilt, the burden of your guilt, the burden of my guilt, and he said to his father, lay it all upon me. Pour out your justice on me instead of them. And on the cross, he took it all. We're going to recite this in just a few moments in the Apostles' Creed that Christ suffered and died, was buried, and that he descended into hell. Now, we don't believe that means that Jesus physically traveled to hell, but that what he was enduring on the cross was the fullness of the suffering that came from being cast out. He experienced hell on the cross. He experienced the suffering and the agony of hell that we deserved. That on the cross, he was bearing the judgment for our sin, and he endured all of the suffering that came with that. We'll also confess that three days later he rose from the dead, demonstrating that God's justice had been satisfied and showing us that for all who are in Christ, death does not have the final word. Those who are in Christ, though they die, they will live in the spirit as God does. For God's people, his final judgment, listen to me, we're talking about an, arming yourself with a mindset so that you can endure suffering. For God's people, his final judgment does not fill them with fear, but with rejoicing. They know because of Christ that on that day they will not be cast out, but that they will stand in the judgment. And that what that will mean for them is the end of all suffering forever. Not because of their strength or work, but because of Christ's work. Brother, sister, when you think about God's coming judgment, what do you think? Does it fill you with fear? In our life groups, we're reading through this wonderful book by Richard Baxter called The Saints Everlasting Rest. We, we, we read this. I'm going to read a little passage that we talked about in our uh, time in life group this week. He writes, Oh, what inexpressible joy this, and the this is God's judgment, brings the believer. Our dear Lord who loves our souls and whom our souls love will be our judge. Will a man fear to be judged by his dearest friend or his brother or father? Will a wife fear to be judged by her own husband? Christ came down to suffer, to weep, to bleed and die for you. And will he now condemn you? 
He was judged, condemned, and executed in your place. And will he now condemn you himself? It has cost him so dearly to save you, even his own blood. And will he now destroy you? No. That's a good no. No. Christians, we rejoice because that day means the beginning of a new age, the consummation of God's kingdom when all suffering vanishes forever from the lives of God's people. It's war now, though, isn't it? We, we can testify to it. We experience it. We come, we, that part of the reason I started the service the way I did is because I know we come in here just battle-weary. It's war, isn't it? We, we, we can testify to it. We feel it. We experience it every day. We're, we're beaten, battered, maligned, even insulted, weary. We can say with Paul at times that we're so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despair even of life itself. But, but Paul, you know what Paul's conclusion is? He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again finally and fully on that great day. And then he will gather us to himself. Brothers and sisters, just imagine that day when he gathers us to himself. And he will gently rest his hands on your shoulders. And he will wipe away every tear. And he will look deep into your eyes with the warmth of the Savior. And he will say, son, daughter, welcome home. The war is over. Enter into the joy of your master. All trouble done. All conflict past. my, when you, when you have that mindset, these afflictions really are light and momentary. And we do not lose heart because we know all these sufferings are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Because of the hope of that day, we suffer with endurance and we persevere and we pray We'll sing these words in just a little bit. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, Peter's word to us this morning is, is, is that we should not be caught unprepared. But since Christ Jesus suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Know, leave, expect, perceive, know why you're suffering. Leave the old life behind. Expect resistance and above all, look forward to that day when Christ comes to make all things new. When all trouble and all conflict is past. When we will know the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in his presence. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this hope that we have. And we pray that by your spirit, you would make us ready. That we wouldn't just 
move through our lives asleep and, and uh, dull, but that we would be vigilant and, and, and ready and prepared, knowing the suffering, what you are accomplishing in us through suffering, leaving behind our way of our old way of life, chasing our own sinful passions, that you would enable us to expect resistance to know the, the, the reality and the how common and, and, and that this is the path that Christians have walked for centuries and that, Lord, you would fill us with such hope, such confidence in, in what is to come that our light and momentary afflictions, that the opposition we face now would indeed seem light and momentary. Lord, would you do that uh, in and through us by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.